one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome all to this week's Truth and Movies. This week we'll be crossing Europe in search of love and jazz in the monochrome musical romance Cold War. Then we'll be talking about Melissa McCarthy acting opposite sweary felt puppets in The Happy Time Murders. Everybody knows puppets don't shoot puppets. And for this week's film club, we're heading back to the beginning of recorded time, 1989, to look at the second film made by the ringmaster himself, Peter Jackson, in his X-rated puppet extravaganza, Meet the Feebles. Have you got any smack? Smack? Horse. Liquid sky. Skag. Snow. Coke. Crack. That's all in this week's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Okay, welcome everyone. So, I don't know, you may remember me. My name's David Jenkins. I'm usually on the other side of the barricade, talking about the films in a critical sense. Uh, But now I'm taking on the mantle of presenter for (laughs) for one week only, while Adam Woodward and uh, Michael Leder are off swanning it on the Lido at the Venice Film Festival. So introducing our guests this week, we have Little White Lies, Mainstay and Totem, Sophie Monks Kaufman. What do you mean I'm a totem? You're also, a totem. hi. What does that mean, though? Icon- iconic totem. And uh, I have to look up the definition of totem that it doesn't have any negative connotations because I, I threw it out there without really knowing. It means that I, I'm emblematic of something, but of what? The White Lies. Lies. Of, okay. the, of the Little White Lies crew. Whatever I get now is going to sound like not as good, isn't it? <laughs> And she's here, the other one, who's on social media. Social totem. What? I'm only a totem for social media. Okay, we started on a note of bitterness and rancour. We've got, we've, we've also got Hannah Woodhead in the house, the, the, the janitor. <laughs> um, oh, my purpose on this podcast is just to get roasted by like the other guests. <laughs> so last week we actually uh, we did a live podcast from Somerset House. We did. One of the films we talked about was The Children Act. <laughs> I dig the, that movie. Well, oh, I was God. about Someone to say, to. I noticed on, on the Twitter, I've been Twitter stalking you this week, uh, and, and which we'll come back to that again later when we talk about Meet the Feebles, but I, I noticed that you'd been of your own volition to see The Children <laughs> Act, and I thought maybe, considering we'd put the boot in very harshly last week, whether you could maybe offer any kind of critical respite. You've, you've, you've preempted mm. me on that. Yeah, well, I won't go out to bat for the whole movie. What drew me to it is I feel that there is a dearth of meaty roles for the older woman within film, and The Children Act presents an incredibly substantial and intriguing role for Emma Thompson, as a judge 
who has a, a ambiguous relationship with a young boy. So while I I will own that construction of the film is a might contrived. Emma Thompson, who is a, a very reliable presence in the movies, is given this the opportunity to show what she can do. And she can do a hell of a lot. So that's all I've got to say about the Children Act. You know, I'm not here for that. I'm here for Emma Thompson. OK. Well, I think it's nice to get a little bit of, uh, you know, clarity on, on the film and, uh, and, and maybe pull it back from the, the abyss a little no, bit. No, no, <laughs> no. Right in the abyss. That's okay. where it belongs. Wait. Strong words from the janitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think we're all in agreement. Thompson's magnificent. The Thompson Act is, yeah. is what it is, mm. essentially. Yeah. Yes. So anyone <laughs> wanting to get in touch with the podcast can do so at truthandmovies at littlewhitelies.com, at littlewhitelies on our Twitter. And if you head to our website, it's the podcast tab at lwlies.com. And without further ado, we're going to get on to our first film this week, which is Pavel Palikowski's Cold War. What we have here is a sweeping, swooning love story filmed in milky black and white, uh, which hops between various European capitals. It follows Victor, a musicologist working in communist Poland who's asked to mount a grand celebration of local musical tradition. And in the process, he falls in love with the mysterious ice blonde singer Zula. Their tumultuous affair then plays out across the shifting cultural and political sands of post-war Europe. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> before we get to the nitty gritty of things, I actually got the, the chance to speak to director Pavel Palikowski when he was over in London a couple of weeks ago about the challenges of making a movie in black and white. So here's the results of that meeting. Well, I didn't want it to be like Ida, although it's a period film and it's, you know, it's shot on this format. But anyway, I didn't want it to be like Ida... And I did, for a long time, try to make it a colour film, you know, imagine it as a colour film. I just couldn't come up with the right colour scheme. Mm -hmm. Because, for one thing, Poland at that period was was not colour, you know, it's not like saturated colours in America in the 50s. No, it was really grey, brown, green, you know, so what colour do you apply without it being really murky and undramatic? And then for a while I was thinking of maybe using a kind of Soviet Technicolor stock, you know, or imitated, you know, the stuff they use in the 50s for the color films, uh, very washed out, oversaturated greens and reds. And, but, but then, that, you know, we thought how, how to do it, it just felt very, um, very mannered and stupid. Uh, so black and white seemed like less mannered and more honest and kind of straightforward approach. You know, everyone knows the, the game you know, with black and white. It's mm -hmm. a black and white film. The reality is in colour, so clearly it's some kind of abstraction of reality. Um, but let's make it as juicy and dramatic and contrast as we can. So, so we, you know, then decided to make it, you know, not a bit more contrasty, quite a little bit more than, than either. Yeah, yeah. And also to another thing, you know, to move the camera when required, not all the time, but you know when the scene really demands it when they because we have we have a fidgety energetic heroine so you know why not make her dictate the camera moves you know and that was that kind of worked she keeps kind of changing directions all the time and then we have music which which calls for movement as well you know so a lot of the decisions were kind of dictated by the nature of the beast you now and uh, and and yeah, but the, the narrow format. You know, I like the narrow for you know the four by three is a really good one. I kind of grew up making documentaries in that format, more or less. You know, for 
on 16 mil. So for me, it's, it's not a kind of an exotic format, and it's not a mad decision. It's mm -hmm. just pretty good to compose. Uh, so yes, yeah, so all these decisions were, were kind of like organic, you know, they were not like, oh, I want this film, you know, to have this style, you know, it's more this style as a result of a certain uh, sensibility and, and, and the nature of the story. You know. So yeah, but we can, you kind of know, you know, once you get into the film, you kind of know what's right and the film starts kind of rejecting stuff that's too pale or too uh, vague or too uh, over explained or, or too much information or too many elements in the shot you, think, you know you just say yes no yes no no this is too much this is not enough it's there's no kind of intellectual prejudice <laughs> or, or like a decision that precedes the film it's more like the film kind of dictates itself you know Cold War, winner of Best Director at the uh, 2018 Cannes Film Festival, shot in black and white and Academy Ratio. And also it's Palakowski's follow-up to his Oscar-winning Best Foreign Film, Ida, which was also shot in black and white and Academy Ratio. I guess my first question then, uh, maybe to you, Sophie, is this film, Cold War, is, is being presented as this kind of grand sweeping romance. And I think, does it work for you on that level? Absolutely, unequivocally, yes. I should say I came to this slightly trepidatiously as I was uh, one of the, the people unconverted by Ida. But absolutely, it's like an old school. It takes it back to the kind of Casablanca levels of uh, lovers rent aside by political worldly forces. So it's got these huge themes and what makes it work so well as a romance is the insane off the charts chemistry between Joanna Kulik as Zula and Thomas Scott as Victor I think these romances they, they live and die on that type of vibe between the leads and this one is, is incredibly plausible so I have, a, I have a lot more to say about many aspects of the film but in terms of does it work as a sweeping romance hell yes Hannah did it work for you on that level yeah, 100%. I actually I watched it again last night and it's been a couple of months since I saw it for the first time and I liked it more the second time around. I didn't dislike it the first time around, but the second time around I think it has time to settle a bit and um, yeah, as Sophie has said, the chemistry between uh, Johanna and Thomas is like crazy, crazy good and you, I really buy into their relationship and buy into their romance. It is a total sort of old-fashioned love story where everything kind of goes wrong all the odds are against them but they they have each other and they're in love and they're in love at a time when it was difficult to be in love and I dug it a lot and how does he bring that sort of time to life I mean it's it, it kind of takes place in this post-war Europe starts off in like communist Poland and then moves to Paris and you I think we, we hop to Lisbon for a little bit how does he bring Europe to life is it credible is it, is it a dark place <laughs> so this is incredible achievement of aesthetic cinema and each frame just looks like a photograph so he realizes this time in a quite stylized way you know it's all like smoky bars and old theaters and style and it feels less like a realization of that time and more like a realization of our most romantic ideas of that time but the composition in every single shot is swoon worthy go on so first of all I should give a, a shout out to the cinematographer Lucas Zhao uh, he was also the cinematographer on Ida but um, 
it's like storytelling via images. It's very much rooted in each character's perspective and in their feelings for each other. Like there's this, there's this scene that was incredibly moving, where because the, they spend the film coming together and then being rent apart, coming together, rent apart. So there's one scene that takes place when they haven't seen each other for years, and so Zula is a singer and dancer in a Polish folk troupe, and she's performing one night, and so you see her performing. And then you have a shot, a perfectly centralised shot of him, Victor, watching in the audience. And you see that. And then you have an image of her and the moment she sees him and everything in her demeanour changes, freezes, comes alive. Like, all this stuff happens, but she's still performing. And then there's a, a callback to that shot a little bit later when she looks out at the audience for him and that seat is empty. So it's just very, in terms of answering your question about the aesthetics of it, it's very rooted in the power of images. Yeah, I totally agree with that. One of the, one of the things as well that is interesting about the film, it does look and feel like this kind of classic Hollywood romance. As you say, Casablanca is, feels like one of its its kind of reference points. However, it is a bit more radical than that, and it does do things that maybe you wouldn't see in a kind of you know garden variety conventional romance and I think one of those things is the way it deals with time and uh, Hannah maybe you have any co- some comments on the way that you basically have these big blocks where you don't see anything that happens yeah. so you're, you're seeing these little fragments of a relationship yeah it, it's it first time I saw it was quite jarring because there were a couple of moments early on in the film where you're not entirely sure how much time has passed and sort of what's gone on you have to fill in these blanks yourself it is a bit like being told a story by like an elderly relative where they're just like telling you the kind of key moments like the snapshots that they remember and you're filling in all these blanks around it yourself but it also kind of highlights that these are the moments for them which are important in their life these are the the defining moments of their relationship when they come back together and when they fall apart and nothing else matters to them and matters in the world around them you know all these kind of horrible things are happening we have this sort of political landscape which means that um Zula has to leave her. Zula and uh, I should say Victor have to leave Poland behind. They have to kind of escape defect, from it. Basically. Defect from it. You know, as soon as they do that, they know they're going to spend the rest of their lives like on the lamb. And um, we get hints at that, and there are sort of it becomes more of a driving force later in the film. But most of it is is really centered around the two of them and how time stops when they're together. But also like. There's an incredible scene where Zula is at a bar and this is, I, th- I think you mentioned the scene in your review for Little White Lies as well, where um, Rock Around the Clock comes on and she does this kind of incredible like dance routine to it. It's not all kind of like languid sweeping shots and like close-ups on faces. There is like this incredible energy that comes out at times as well. Time within the film, because you're having to make so many leaps yourself, it could be jarring for some people, but I liked that. I liked that this film is as much about kind of your understanding of their relationship as it is what uh, Pavel is like giving you directly on the screen. I just want to uh, leap in what you said about energy just and Hannah and also to kind of the combat the view that the ellipses take something away from it because I think they actually they do some character work and these the, the snapshots we get are almost them salvaging the highlights of their relationship and their own story from what is the rolling forces of darkness which come from the political tyranny and the shrinking choices that they as individuals have within this i mean it's you know it's it's stalinist poland mm. um and so 
as characters, I think they're also quite interestingly gendered. For example, Victor, I don't want to be spoilerific, so I'll just say that there comes a point early on in the film when a decision needs to be made and he nails his flags to the cross and she makes a more like survivalist decision and there's a reference to her dad being a no good nick as well in a sexually inappropriate way there's a reference to that and there are constant peppered across these snapshots just little inferences of the amount of uh, like dangerous lecherous men she has to navigate but that's not the focus that's just kind of in the periphery but there's enough there for you to know that the the parts you're not seeing could very well be more of this and the parts that we see are just the romantic highlights and the way the film ends the place it ends in it's them making the final choice that they can make given the shrinking choices available to them but no spoilers there. <laughs> I don't think that's a spoiler. No, you no, all, no. You, I think in a film called Cold War, like you know, that there, there's always going to be a degree of like, where is this going to go? Where can where can this go in a place like communist Poland? Like, I mean, the fact that it is called Cold War and that it's in a sense about the history as much as it is about the people, yeah. which is quite interesting. Well, he says it's to his parents. Exactly. Yeah, that dedication really got me in the feels. Right, same. Yeah, right in the feels. But there's, 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 there's a quite an interesting side to it as well, that on one hand you've got this couple who, despite these mounting odds of them actually being able to logistically be together, that they never seem to be able to fall out of love with each other. <gasps> but at the same time, there's this idea that although they're kind of trying to get away from their homeland, Poland in a sense, politically dangerous and not a place that they want to be. They can't fall out of love with Poland either. Yeah, I mean, their whole, both of their careers are kind of like forged on this cultural identity they have and the music of their country and this mission to kind of take it around the world, basically, or certainly around Europe. And it has a lot of interesting things to say about kind of the things we hold on to about our identity when we when we move places when we meet people when we fall in love and kind of the things that we go home to and that we rely on and for them it's this there's this constant song that's like reoccurring so um it's a polish folk song we hear it right in the kind of beginning and then zulo's recording it and it it changes over the years with kind of the changing fashions of the music but that's the one thing that she goes back to like him it's as much a film about poland as it as it is a film about love but that's what makes it such a great love story because I think folded into the biggest loves you'll ever have are people who will remind you, corny as it is, who you are mm. because they know you so well and that's what love is, to be fully seen and to see the other person and not to like soft-pedal their emotions but to actually kind of like drag them back to what's important to them and yeah, there are parts when Victor's in exile and he's, he's kind of reinventing himself and Zulo comes back and it's like a clash and it's painful. And, and so it's a great love story because it's not like the, it's presented aesthetically as the most beautiful, gorgeous thing and it's full of all the fields. But love isn't just like stroking each other. It's like shaking each other. Mm. Last point, a little glib question before we go to the scores. Is this the thinking man's La La Land? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would not tarnish it even with that (laughs) alright let's go for some scores Hannah do you want to start us off I wasn't at Cannes so I was kind of waiting for this and you know was aware of all the hype around it like a good four and enjoyment was a four and in retrospect it's still yeah it's still a solid four for me I think it's a really 
beautiful film that I hope a lot of people go and see. I, I understand it might be a bit of a hard sell if you're not into your Polish history, but if you if you like a good sweeping love story, I so it's only eighty five minutes though. This is so. true. Yeah, eighty five minutes. Like that is it's not peak, a slog. peak runtime <laughs> and very good looking leads. Okay, and your scores? Three. I was at Cannes, but I opted not to see it. Because I thought, this won't do anything for me. But then I grudgingly took myself along to another screening and I enjoyed it for. But then it really hit me afterwards. It kept on going. It kept rolling in my mind. So in retrospect, five. Nice. Well, that's Cold War out this Friday. So, okay, next up, something slightly different. Just a little <laughs> tiny, teeny bit different. We've got The Happy Time Murders, um, directed by Brian Henson, son of Jim, director of Muppet Christmas Carol and the lesser Muppet Treasure Island, I think. The story, uh, when a puppet cast of 90s children's TV show begin to get murdered one by one, a disgraced LAPD detective turned private eye puppet named Phil Phillips... I don't know if that's a joke, but <laughs> takes on the case with the help of his ex-partner, played by Melissa McCarthy. Here's a little clip which is teeing all of that up. You're going to work together on this. Uh, excuse me, what? Oh, come on. This jackwad is the reason the puppets can't be cops anymore. He missed on purpose that day. Not true. Everybody knows puppets don't shoot puppets. The Phillips Code prohibits me from having a puppet as a partner. That's true. He's the Phillips. I'm Phillips. They hated him so much they made a code about him. I'm not reinstating him as a police officer. I'm bringing him on as a consultant. No. Look, Lieutenant, nobody turns my brother into a chew toy and gets away with it. I'm going to catch who did these murders. Murders? I mean, no offense. I don't want to start anything, but what, did I miss another body around here? No. Whoever killed Larry also took out Mr. Bumbly Pants. Bumbly Pants was the target there. What's the connection? The Happy Happy Time Time Gang. So the Happy Time Murders. Um, We're coming from a you know a slightly dark place with this one, I guess, and we have we've have decided to run quite heavily with the kind of X-rated puppet theme (laughs) this week. So I guess strap yourself in, everyone. Um, I mean, in this genre. It does have some classics, films like Team America World Police show that you can do this kind of thing well and, you know, you can have puppets being sick and having sex and it being pretty funny. How does this one compare to something like Team America World Police, Hannah? As you say, you, uh, you can do this. You can do anything. To, to, to quote, you to, can, quote, you can to paraphrase Jeff to Goldblum, you know, you spent all this time thinking if you could and you didn't stop to think if you should. And that Oof. is kind of the crux of this genre. I think the problem is with these like X-rated puppet movies, the premise only kind of sustains itself for so long. And when you're... It's 2018 and we're getting another one, it's like, oh, okay. And they're still pitching it as like oh this ain't your family's Muppet movie and it's like yeah but neither was the last one or the one before that so I'm kind of just a bit a bit bored of it all and I was really kind of when this was first announced some 10 years ago now it was kind of like oh yeah well yeah I got, you know I could go in for a, a a sort of noir film with puppets that that could be quite interesting but it just um it just feels like it's it's snowballed and got away from them and become something weird and not not very good, and yeah. So you basically think it's it's a funny or die clip that's gone. It is. Gone it's nuclear. something that would be hilarious for like ten minutes, but then like not. And, and would it even be hilarious for ten minutes? No. no. <laughs> I mean, on the right hands, I think you could make this funny, but like one not. minute maybe. 
So, Sophie, we I hate to resort to the tomatometer, if that's how you pronounce it. I am now it. a Rotten Tomatoes approved critic, everyone. So, you know, that's where whoop, I'm going to be now. Um, so... <laughs> Currently, the film holds a rating of, it, whether you, this means anything to anyone, of 21%. Is that too high? It, no, that's accurate. Okay. It's 21% of a movie, yes, I would say. Okay. <laughs> there you go, 10 minutes then. That would have been fine. Talk me through your reaction to it. So I went to see it. Again, my anticipation was probably at zero because <laughs> like everyone and his dad was coming out to slam it. So I was like, this is going to be an ordeal. And it actually wasn't an ordeal. So it was better than an ordeal, I can, okay. I can say. <laughs> I think a lot of critics, have, especially in the States, have been very much like very quick to be like, this is this is appalling. This is like... I can't believe I had to sit through this. It's not that bad. No, but it's like not the th- bad. the thing that offended me most about it was how boring it was. Like it was just boring. All the jokes were boring. All the kind of like porn references were boring. It was just like a you know a kind of thirteen year old kid like making jokes, and I was like, this isn't even like offensive. It's just like boring. I didn't mind the pure out sex jokes. That's that's, that's fine, but like. <laughs> Boring. Like, you yeah. know, when when you say, when I saw Team America, when I was like, what, I don't know, thirteen or whenever I was, and that how old I was when that came out, you were like, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing this. Yeah. But I think even kids today would not be outraged by this. It all feels very like. So does this film then not really push the envelope when it comes to puppet sex? No. no. It's okay. It's big piece is the fact that this one puppet ejaculates forever, like non-stop coming, like forever, is, is absolutely it, forever is coming. That, is that basically just a rip-off of the scene in Team America yeah, with, where he vomits forever? It is. Everything's which a rip-off is, which of Which is generally hilarious. Like, <laughs> what did happen, though, because there is a lot of downtime, I mean, boredom time in this movie, so I made a little list... What makes a good film? Because I was like, this isn't a good were film. You do, were you doing this during the film? Yeah. You're just making a list of. So you're, you're what now going to tell Brian Henson, son of Jim, <laughs> how to make a movie. No, these are just some thinking points. Some FYI. Yeah, because I was like, I was okay. like, why isn't this good? Because it's not bad. I'm not in pain. Yeah. I, I feel okay, but I don't feel that I'm watching a good film. So therefore, what makes a good film? Number one, tonal variance. This has yeah. one tone. But puppets. Right. That is, yeah. But puppets. But puppets. So we're, we're on a kind of white noise sex puppet film. Right, yeah. exactly. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Uh, character development. Yeah, none of that. No, like Phil Phillips' setting is washed up cop. Like, he literally says, ah, Los Angeles, the city of angels. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Melissa McCarthy's character setting is angry. <laughs> As, as it is in everything she does, bless her. I'm, I'm a big fan of hers. Like, like Spy, I think, is a, a masterpiece. But Well, let's hear what lessons that Sophie has for Hollywood <laughs> and then, then let's get on to Melissa McCarthy. Okay, more than one joke. As we've covered, the only joke in this is but puppets. Right. Some ring of truth. So that's my list. Tonal variance, character development, more than one joke, some ring of truth. So this is more lessons for comedy directors. Yeah. So, you know, your Paul Figs, mm. your, your... Charlie Brothers. Yeah, your Farrah. Like, let, let's... We'll make sure they, they hear about these. If you can and, circulate uh, take, this memo. Yeah, we'll circulate that in Hollywood, like, literally as the button, <laughs> the red button is pushed. On and also, podcast. please invoice everyone who takes it up because I'm a little strapped for cash. Okay, we will do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I also am a big Melissa McCarthy fan. Having recently 
had the joy of uh, going through the entire uh, Gilmore Girls saga. I kind of fell in love with her and I actually do like some of her films that are maybe considered a bit bad. I mean, I like like The Heat. I like uh, The Heat. He's a great bunny comedy. And Spy as well. And I wondered, is it time that we should be staging an intervention for Melissa McCarthy? She or? produced this film mm-hmm. as well, which, with her husband, I think. Uh, so this one, I'm like, Melissa, you brought this upon yourself. Um, I, but I think she's, she's a good comedic actress. Like, the problem is with this, the script is atrocious and all the jokes in this film stem around puppets saying how masculine she looks. And I was like, well, A, it's not even true. Mm. And B... What? Like, why is that what you're going for? Like, she just, uh, she's just a non-entity. Mm, but Hannah, the scene where she like gets really high on sugar. Mm, mm, no, no. What do you mean? I, like, she has to act like being really off her head. Yeah, on I sh- know. And I think that that I, I think she's good, just mm, not good in this. Okay, so. okay. Well, she's in the new Mario Heller film. She is, and I'm very excited about that. The, um, that that is apparently. Melissa McCarthy going serious. It's called Can You Ever Forgive Me? I think it's just yeah. been announced in the London Film Festival. So, yeah, this this is Melissa McCarthy ghost theft doing a Steve Carell <laughs> courting the uh, Academy. Um, I, let's see if it happens. I, I really do have a lot of time for her and I'm sad that she was in this movie. You know what it is? Her and Jason Statham were both so good in Spy and then obviously a couple of weeks ago he did The Meg and now she's done Happy Time Murders and I don't understand why the two of them didn't just get together and do Spy 2. Like, why did we have to have two bad movies instead of one brilliant movie? So, David, at the same time as you're circulating my comedy memo, maybe you could try and get word to the state <laughs> get and word, Melissa. Get word to Paul Feig, who also has just put out another film, and uh, tell them that Hannah has some strongly worded uh, okay, well, demands. Maybe, you know what, maybe they're probably listening anyway, so I mean, maybe, <laughs> I'm just not going to do it in the knowledge that studio execs are basically playing this in their boardroom out loud and jotting down notes (laughs) as they go to improve cinema. I will Um, say, though, that the one bright spot of this film for me was uh, Maya Rudolph. Co-signed. should be cast Mm -hmm. in every film. Sure, absolutely. She she plays this kind of, like... um, a little shop of horrors, like Audrey style, like assistant with this blonde perm and this really like high pitched voice, and she just everything she does is just so great in life in general. And yeah, she was the one redeeming feature of this film. You've anticipated my final question: whether there was a, a, a <laughs> glimmer of light in the yeah, abyss. It was but, her. Um, okay, <laughs> Sophie, do you want to kick off with scores for this one? Can you do zero anticipation? <laughs> We'll allow it. Just like Emma Thompson in the Children's Act, we'll allow, allow it. it. Okay. Okay, so anticipation zero. Honestly, everyone was acting like it was a war crime, um, which it is not. So enjoyment. <laughs> you, you can't have double zero. You can't have one. Ellipsis. Okay, one. In retrospect, one. Okay. Ouch. <laughs> You know, we we have this conversation in, in the office quite a lot that when a film screens like two days before release, it's usually not a very a sign it's not going to be very good. And this like literally screened two days before release, so I was you know on a two for anticipation with this one, two for enjoyment. It wasn't awful, but it also was not good. And yeah, a one. I have no desire to ever watch this again. Well, happy times indeed. <laughs> um, the crappy time murders. <laughs> Hi-oh. <laughs> um, so let's, um, without further ado then, let's draw a line under that, but then let's hop straight back to more <laughs> sexy puppets with our film club this week, Peter Jackson's Meet the Feebles. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So Film Club this week is Peter Jackson's Meet the Feebles from the year 1989. Let me tell you what the film is for those who, who aren't already in the know. And f- shame on you if you're not. Sorry, I, no, shame on me for being for shaming you. Yeah. Um, Heidi, the hippo, is a star of Meet the Feebles Variety Hour. She discovers that her lover, Bletch, the walrus, is cheating on her. And with all the world waiting for the show to show the assorted co-stars must contend with their own problems. These include drug addiction, extortion, robbery, disease, drug dealing and even murder. While this is happening, the love between two of the stars is threatened by the devious Trevor the Rat who wishes to exploit the young starlet for use in his porno movie business. Here's a little clip where we're introduced to the character of Robert the Hedgehog who is squeaky clean and kindly, the only kind of nice presence in the film and he is meeting with Winard the Frog who has his own problems uh, <laughs> having fought in Vietnam. <laughs> Hello, my name's Robert. Ah, are you the no supplier? No, I've been sent by the director to assist you in your knife throwing routine. Oh, I was wondering if you would like to practice. Oh, no, I don't know, man. I really don't know. It's not such a hot idea. Uh, have you got any smack? Smack? Horse. Liquid sky, skag, snow, coke, crack, methadone, benzodrine, pinky, sand pad, morning glory, nutmeg, blue minis, aspirin, ADOS, paracetamol, Vicks, vapor rub! Oh, oh, you don't happen to be an asthmatic by any chance. Could I borrow your offer? I don't take drugs of any sort. I don't believe it's right to abuse your body like that. Oh, well, that's easy for you to say. You haven't been to Helen back. Eh? No. Oh, you've been to Vietnam. I saw the worst of it, kid. I just want to be like very clear about the fact that when it comes to Peter Jackson, his first three films, which are Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles and Brain Dead, 
which is when he was basically making the scrungiest, nastiest, most violentest, goriest horror movies you can ever imagine. In his, in his, and and all the all the effects were made by himself in his garden shed. <laughs> I think the this trilogy is just magical. It is it is everything about the magic of cinema in movies, and I think he totally lost me when he went to Hollywood to do. Launderings, <laughs> and I know that's a very leading thing to say ahead of a discussion of this. But I mentioned before, Sophie, that I was stalking your Twitter feed, and <laughs> I noticed another alongside the fact that you saw the Children's Act. I also noticed another little story about your an early, um, uh, an early viewing of Meet the Feebles, and I wondered if you maybe wanted to bring that to the table. Oh sure, okay. So I think you're referring to the fact that um, my first ever boyfriend sat me down for a viewing of one of his favourite films, Meet the Feebles. So how did that work? Did he, did he say, come round, I've got a surprise film to show you? Or was it always like, oh, I love Meet the Feebles, you've got to come round to watch it? No, I think it was quite casually lopped out, so to speak. I don't know why I said lopped out. So basically he was holding up um, Sleepless in Seattle or Meet the Feebles and going, what should we do? There was no choice in the matter. Okay. It, it, it was, Meet the Feebles was on. And I was watching it and I had that gradual sinking feeling you have if someone you care about shows you something that's very dear to them that you are not on board with. <laughs> Dare I ask how long the relationship lasts? It was a, a three-monther. Um, okay. So post-feebles? Oh, post-feebles. Yeah, I think that was towards the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the warning signs. Um, yeah, but also it, you've got to bear in mind this was my first boyfriend. I was like... Is this what it takes to have a boyfriend? <laughs> you, you have to watch Meet the Feebles. I would say, being the, the male in this conversation, I, that message to your boyfriend that that's a power move. To bring Meet the Feebles to the table <laughs> so early on is, is a power That's move. 16 as well. Absolute undying respect for that. Oh my God, you're one of him. Yeah. I have to say, my boyfriend did also then go on to make his own like gory movie meet the family oh, oh wow it so, all comes out and i was thanked in the credits of wow that. he he loved meet the feebles <laughs> just to tear up a bit further i've got a list of the characters in the film <laughs> and i think it might be nice to go through them so we've got heidi the hippo robert the hedgehog samantha the cat sebastian who comes to the table with a rather garish show tune at the end, end of the film. Oh, uh, God, Do- yes. Dr. Quack, Daisy the Cow, um, Sandy the Chicken, Barry the Bulldog, Winard the Frog, Trevor the Rat, The Fly, Bletch the Walrus, Arthur the Worm, Sid the Elephant, The Cockroach and Louis the Fish. So that's the feebles. Does Louis the Fish really count as a feeble? Louis the Fish doesn't quite count as a feeble, but uh, you'll, you'll have to watch the film to understand what we mean by that. So... Guys, what do we think of this film? I mean, you know, Happy Time Murder seems to be something of a throwback to it. And, you know, this film, just to give a bit of context, we we talked before about how should the Happy Time Murders have been a short film. Well, this originally was a short film. And um, Peter Jackson and his team came into a a cachet of money from some Japanese investors who wanted to turn it into a a feature-length thing. So, Where are the Japanese investors when we need them, eh? (laughs) Well, they and they apparently had to like hash the film out to feature length very, very swiftly, rewrote the script and uh, did it all on a very, very, very shoestring budget, which I think is, you know, invisible in the film. But, but um, does it work for you? Is it a, a treasure from the archive? 
I mean, as someone who was not introduced to this at 16 by my boyfriend, I think I probably had a much better time with it than Sophie did. I, I was kind of dreading watching it because of how bad Happy Time Murders was. But there's this moment, like, about maybe, I don't know, half an hour in, when, uh, as we've just heard in the clip, we see Robert the Hedgehog meeting with Winnet the Frog, who, you know, he's a troubled character, and he starts explaining about his history in Vietnam. He's a drug-addicted knife-thrower <laughs> who, who, who is seen murdering accidentally murdering someone during the practice session. He says, like, oh, you know, let me tell you about my past in Vietnam. And, like, then there's this flashback scene which just goes on for so long. I was like, oh, it's going to be, like, you know, a kind of cutaway gag. But no, it goes on, like, a good sort of five, ten-minute sequence set in Vietnam with puppets. It's the entire deer hunter (laughs) in in five minutes. Yeah, it is, it is. Which, you know, for some people, they might prefer that to the actual deer hunter. But I was like, that was the moment with this film where I was kind of like, okay, like, I like this film. Like, this is just absolutely not so. Like, it's it makes no sense. It's ridiculous. It's disgusting. But so much like love and care has gone into making this film. I can't even really be angry about it. Like Peter Jackson and his wife, who co-wrote the film, like obviously just really like puppets and really wanted to make a film about them. And I kind of respect that. I mean, my memory of the film was that it was really genuinely disgusting film. And and do you think do you think that is true of the film? Yeah, and it revels in it. And I'd like to give a revisionist read on it and also <laughs> apologise to my first ever boyfriend for n- not getting it then. Oh wow. <laughs> I mean again I'm not I'm I don't feel as you do that this is a great a, a great work of art. But I, I you know if you will insist on making an adult puppet movie, or if you will insist on watching one, you might as well watch Meet the Feebles. <laughs> I like that on the DVD. <laughs> if you're going to do it. Is that the faintest of faint praise ever delivered in the history of criticism? But I want to say actually one something that's just probably a little more positive than very weak praise I just delivered. I think Heidi is a good character and I really like where her arc ends up. It's almost like a carry arc. Yeah. 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 She gets her moment. Oh, yeah. Because she's this, she, she's a great character, actually. She's like this super feminine, like diva character who's like, oh, oh. She's and, like Miss Piggy. Yeah. But like everyone has to placate her. Everyone in this movie is like a kind of archetype of a show business sleazeball. <laughs> but everyone is trying to placate her because she's a star. Like she gets to like act out all the time. When she's stressed, she overeats chocolate ghetto. You know, she's not supposed to do it's in her contract. But anyway, you know, she's kind of being humiliated by Bletch, the love of her life, the producer who's you know, having stuff happening to him that's X-rated thanks to this cat. But anyway, when she finally sees the truth of the situation, she yeah, she gets to do some satisfying stuff. One last thing I'd like to say with relation to Heidi, and, and one of the things I beyond all the crudeness, mm-hmm. I think I just appreciate this film as a piece of handmade cinematic craft where you can just it's amazing that so much love could be put into something that's so tawdry I think um, but one of the things I really love about it actually is the songs as well I mean they, they've, re- they've really put time and energy into to writing some really good songs and Heidi's main number is this song called Garden of Love <laughs> And, and and I I was humming that for days afterwards. It's, it's actually a really good song. I think the 
actual Meet the Feebles main song is maybe better than Meet the Muppets. Like, you know, (laughs) it's it's, it's really catchy. I agree. And, and, um, you know, um, the big number later that Sebastian has, like, towards the end of the film is is, is really quite something. If you've ever been familiar with... um, Avenue Q, which was the Broadway X-rated Muppets, which kind of, I guess, is where Happy Time Murder stems from, then um, you will definitely see the DNA in me, me, the people. (laughs) Right. Well, thanks very much for that. I'm glad that we could sort of dredge that one up from the archives. (laughs) Just to round things off this week, I know that you guys are actually going on your own Happy Time adventure. (laughs) Please don't call that next uh, week don't, don't sully our, our adventures with that uh, you're going to the toronto international film festival and I, and I just to round things off i would love to hear both of your picks for things that you're most excited to see over there and things that you're going to you're maybe going to come in in a heartbeat back on, back in a it. heartbeat high life by claire denis like I, straight in there I, honestly I when I didn't think I was going to Toronto I asked if i could go to san sebastian because i wanted to see it but now i'm going to san sebastian and tiff Wow. So you can, see, you can see it twice. Yes. So just to explain what that is. High Life is the new film by one of the greatest living masters of cinema, Claire Denis, whose previous film, Let the Sunshine In, we raved about on this podcast. And this is her first English language film. It's set in space. It's got Robert Pattinson in it. Sold. Yeah. Yeah, it looks great. No, I'm very excited for that as well. It, it does look really good. And I love Robert Pattinson now. If you'd asked me five years ago, I would have been like, no. But oh, his career arc straight to the moon. And Hannah, what are you going to be like first in the queue for? Oh, definitely uh, FBL Street Could Talk, which is the new Barry Jenkins uh, joint. But also, um, I'm very excited for Jeremy Solino's new film, Hold the Dark. He's so the guy he's that the guy, did. Yeah. Uh, he's the guy that did Sorry. Green. Sorry, I'm straight in there. He did uh, Green Room and Blue Ruin, and Hold the Dark is about a a wolf hunter, I guess, who kind of goes to this. I'm not entirely sure where he goes. Somewhere snowy and cold after the murder of a... Can wolves murder a child? Yeah, after after wolves murder a child. Yeah, wolves do what they like. <laughs> um, to investigate. And he said... Uh, uh, Jeremy has said that it has the highest body count of any of his films. Which, if you've seen Green Room and Hot Blue Ruin, is like, quite some achievement. So bloodthirsty, so, yeah, I know, I know. I'm straight in there for the Midnight Madness showing of that. And, and, and so that's, that's just three top picks from a lineup of, I think, over 300 movies. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing that when you are back from there, you're going to have lots more to talk yeah, about. Yeah, and definitely we'll be blogging away for for uh, littlewhilelives.com so. yeah. also I as Hannah said too the other film I'm really looking forward to is a new Mia Hansen love film called <laughs> Maya again Mia Hansen love is I've picked two French films but uh, she has got quite a small corpus of work but everything she makes is done very very tenderly very carefully and with, with an eye for the, the delicacy of life I would say and Maya is about a journalist. Travelling to India. <laughs> Travelling to India. <laughs> I too am excited for that one, uh, but I will be manning the fort while you two are out there um, chugging beers and eating... What's that stuff they have? Poutine. That, poutine, yes. You're back, are you back on here next week talking about Cameron Post? Possibly. Hopefully, because I like Cameron Post. Yeah, I'm sad I won't be here to discuss that again. Well, thank you both for attending and for talking about puppets and sex and uh, Cold War. So uh, It's so weird that Cold War is 
within this puppet sandwich. I know, I know. I did originally have it second, and it would have. I think it'd been very, very weird to do puppets, Cold yeah, War puppets. Yeah, I'm glad we. But, yeah, I'm glad we I thought, it. Let's kind of. do a big chunk of puppets, like floating ethereally above the sea yeah. of sleaze. So, if 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 anyone wants to get in touch with us, um, I'll comment on on what we've seen and what we've said. Uh, Truth and movies at littlewhitelies.com or at littlewhitelies on Twitter and uh, the podcast tab at littlewhitelies.com. Um, this has been a seven digital podcast. Thank you very much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.